You are listening to episode 15 of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 29, Umber Orbital, 2352, October 8. When I left the captain's cabin, I was in a daze. I just applied to the academy. I wondered if I'd be accepted, but the captain seemed pretty confident, and with her track record, she had reason to be. But it was breakfast time, so I headed for the mess deck. When I got there, I found it crowded, so I assumed that Mr. Maxwell hadn't declared liberty. I got some eggs, sausage, and biscuit from the mess line. Sarah and Pip were serving, and looked around for a seat. I found one beside Diane and plunked down. Brill was across from me, and Francis was there, too. Francis started it with, You okay-ish? You look a little distracted. Brill and Diane were looking at me strangely, too. Diane said, Even for you-ish, you seem a little out of it. What's happened? I took a deep breath and let it out before I said very softly, I just applied to the academy. Brill asked, Port Newmar? Yep, I said. The captain took me down to her cabin after watch and pointed out that if I were really thinking about going next year when my contract expires, I need to apply now. Oh, Diane said, I thought from the way you said it you'd filed your application. Yeah, I replied, I did. Even Francis was leaning in to hear me, because I was talking so quietly. Brill said, but the application is huge. You need to fill it out with your transcripts and your service jacket, and you need recommendations from at least three officers. It didn't really dawn on me at the time that Brill seemed to know a lot about the process. Yeah, I agreed. Well, how could you apply? Francis finally chimed in. She had it all, I said. Who's she? What all? Diane asked. The captain. We were talking, and I realized she was right, that I needed to get an application filed before the cutoff, so I asked her if she knew where I could get an application. She sent it to me on my tablet. All filled out. Transcripts from Naris, recommendations from ten different officers, all of it. Ten? Brill exclaimed. There are only six on the ship. Yeah, she had a few extras, I commented, but didn't say more. Like who, Diane pressed, and then she guessed Alvarez. Yeah, I admitted, and Pip's Aunt Penny. How she got involved in this, I have no idea. Well, that's a hell of a thing, isn't it, Francis said, leaning back and shaking his head. I still have to be accepted and figure out how to pay for it, I said, but I had to apply now, or very shortly. I sighed. My fork scraped plate then, and I realized I had no breakfast left. I didn't even have the taste of breakfast left. I was hungrier and more distracted than I thought. I'm not even sure when the cutoff is. It might be before we hit Abelmaro. Brill looked startled at that. I hadn't thought about that, she said, looking thoughtful. The overhead speakers finally announced, Attention all hands, now liberty, liberty, liberty. Hands not on duty may leave the ship according to standing orders and established procedures. Now liberty. The chrono said 0700, and we all bust dishes and helped clean up the mess deck to make it easier on Sarah, Pip, and Cookie. It was such a family thing to do. It rankled that if this application were accepted, I wouldn't be part of the family anymore. I needed to hit the rack and sleep a little before I got all slobbery, but I had one thing I needed to do first, and I found Bev on the gangway watch. I applied to the academy, I told her. Just like that, she said. No, hi, Bev, how's watch? Just, I applied to the academy. I was really tired, and she looked really angry, and I didn't know what to say, so I just said sorry, very softly. I didn't know how else to tell you. Well, that was a good way, but a girl likes a little warm-up first, she said. I looked up at her, and she was grinning at me. It caught me off guard, and I laughed a little. If you're really thinking about deciding next fall, then you have to apply now, don't you, doofus? She said with a lopsided grin. That's what the captain said, too, I told her. Aha! The truth comes out, she laughed. It's okay-ish. I was kidding about the high-bev stuff. You 
look like you could use a little rack time. I do, I told her, but I promise to let you know what my status is. Well, you could have waited till you woke up, she said with a smile. Scoot, she said, and stamped her foot in the deck in my direction like I was a little dog. I'll see you after watch, she added kindly. I met Mr. Maxwell coming the other way in the passage and stood aside for him to go by. Nice work on those cargo tools, Mr. Huang, he said. Why, thank you, sir. He went on past me and I kept going. I heard him talking to Beverly as I headed for my bunk. I must have made it, or they found me and put me in it, because I woke there at 12.30. I splashed off my face and promised me a nice shower after lunch and headed for the mess deck. Pip was helping Sarah clean up the galley, and it looked like they'd had things well in hand. I filled a plate with lamb, rice, and banapods and found a seat. It wasn't hard. I was the only one there. Pip came out of the galley, his tasks completed for the moment, and said, So, what's up with you? What, what? I asked. Well, you came through the mess line this morning looking like, I don't know what. And when I asked you what was going on, you said, yes, thank you, and wandered off. Oh, I said. The captain took me down to her cabin after we secured nav detail. She didn't, he exclaimed. The nerve of that woman. Was it good for you, too? The image touched my giggle nerve, and I started laughing. That's better, he said. Now, you want to tell me about it? I applied to the academy this morning, I said. Just like that, he asked. Pretty much, and I nodded. Not, I got the application and started filling it out this morning? he asked. No, I said. It was pretty much complete when I got it. He stared at me, his head slowly healing to port as if he were trying to figure out where up was. Complete? Yeah, I said. Your personal information on it? Mm-hmm, I said. Your transcripts? Yeah, those two. Personnel jacket? It was attached. Three recommendations? No, I said finally. Well, you need three, he said. Well, there were ten, and your Aunt P was one of them, I told him. How did Aunt P get involved, he asked. Well, you obviously have mistaken me for somebody with a clue, I told him. Unfortunately, I don't even know where to buy a clue, and if I had one, I'm sure it would be to the wrong puzzle. Our captain is something, isn't she, he asked. Now you're getting a little taste of what I was up against at home. Well, it wasn't so bad, I said. I still have to be accepted, and then I have to find a way to pay for it. Well, that's true enough, he said, and then changed the subject. Fancy a run ashore this afternoon. Sarah has the duty here today because she wants to go up to the co-op first thing tomorrow and take her shawls. Sure. You thinking of scoping out the flea market for cargo? Well, it's the perfect time. Head up this afternoon, do a little looking about. Maybe make some contacts. We have plenty of cash left after the masks and the carp, and a lot of mass as well. I think it's going to work out. He shrugged. See where we are after that. Well, that sounds like a plan. How soon can you go? 13.30? Meet you at deck berthing? He was as good as his word, and we were out the lock by 13.35. As we stepped out of the lock, he asked, So, are you going to go? I don't know. How much do you think we can make between now and next August, really? Well, it depends on where we go and what we find, he said. The new cargo software will help the ship, but that's not going to help us much with private cargo. As we approached the lift, a burly man, who looked vaguely familiar, straightened up from where he was lounging by the door. Pip was still contemplating cargo and hadn't seen the man, but it was obvious to me that he'd seen us. I wasn't sure what he wanted, but he spoke. Hello, Philip. How's the semester in space? I knew who he looked like then, Uncle Q. But this wasn't Uncle Q. Oh, hi, Dad. Fancy meeting you here, Pip replied. Captain Thomas Carstairs didn't seem like the kind of man you'd cross lightly, or more than once. Not that he looked mean or anything, just efficient. I was put in mind of Mr. Maxwell a bit that way. He smiled warmly enough at me, though, and held out a hand. You're Ishmael he asked. Yes, sir, Ishmael Wong, I told him, and shook his hand. You can call me Tom, Ishmael. You're not on my crew, and we're not on my ship. Tom will do nicely. 
He continued to talk with me and ignore Pip. Penny and Quint couldn't say enough good things about you, Ishmael. You really impressed them, and they're not easily impressed. Quint's a little soft in the head, he grinned, but P's a hard case from the old school. They helped explain a few things for me, I told him. It was nice to see something outside of the corporate world. Well, I think I'm ready for a beer. Anybody else, he said. I'll buy. And he turned to the lift without waiting for a reply and pressed the button. It must have been on our level, because the doors opened immediately. I followed Tom into the lift. When I turned, Tom still had his hand on the open door control and was looking at Pip, who hadn't said a word beyond his first. Tom just waited, holding the door open. He didn't say anything like, Are you coming, or at your earliest convenience, or stop being an idiot and get on the elevator, all phrases that went through my mind as we stood there waiting. Finally, Pip sighed and stepped aboard. Tom released the door control and pressed the O2 button. When we got there, it wasn't Shaughnessy's, but it might as well have been. The tablet beside the door said Floyd's place. Early afternoon station time and a few quiet spaces were having a beer and a gab. We joined the flotilla and took up station on an empty table. Tom ordered a pitcher and three glasses of medium pilsner, and we settled down with our glasses before we got to the heavy chat. So, how long did you think you could pull this off? Tom asked Pip after we each had half a glass. Pip didn't answer right away, and Tom didn't press him. I don't know, Pip said finally. I hadn't really thought that far ahead. Tom sipped his beer a little. Penny said she talked to Alice, and you've just extended for a year? He asked. Yeah, he said. Things are picking up here, and Ishmael gets done next fall, too. Is that right? He said, smiling at me. What are you going to do then, Ishmael? He asked, like he was interested. I don't know, Tom, I said. I just applied to the academy, but I don't know if I'll get in. You'll get in, he said matter-of-factly. Well, then there's the problem of paying for it, I said. I'm hoping I can make enough trading over the next year to make a dent in it. I was talking to give Pip a chance to, well, I don't know what, get a handle on the situation, maybe. You making any creds? He asked. Eh, we've been lucky, I admitted. Don't worry about the money, Ishmael, he said. Once you're accepted, the money will be taken care of one way or another. It's the another I'm worried about, Tom, I said with a grin. He chuckled then. I guess I can appreciate that, he said. We sat and finished the first glass of beer, and Tom emptied the pitcher on the second round. So, do you want to go, he asked me. I don't know, I told him. I have to apply now, or I won't have that option next August. True enough, he said, and he turned back to Pip. So, if Ishmael goes, you'll go too. Pip looked startled. What? he asked. He seemed almost like he was waking up from a nap. He had that same level of disorientation. I asked if you'd go to the academy if Ishmael goes, his father repeated gently. Pip was still not tracking. How can I go? I burned that bridge when I didn't show up two stand years ago. Well, not exactly, Tom said. When Annie told me you'd shipped on the Duchamp, I contacted Commander Jacon, told him you'd be taking a tour as a deckhand to get some experience under you before reporting. He put your file on hold. You've known all this time, he asked. Of course, he said with a patient smile. Annie checked with me before she let you sign the articles. But, he started to say, but what? Why did she check with me? Because she's family, a great daft thing. No, why didn't you say no, he asked. Well, because you're family, he said, as if it was the most obvious thing in the world. You weren't ready for Port Newmar, I knew that. Well, then why'd you push me, he asked, his voice raw. I didn't, he said. That was just how you saw it. I can't tell you how pleased I was when I got the deep space from Annie. But you've gone along with this whole thing all this time. Oh, that scholarship idea was genius, he said, but don't you think two years is a little long for a semester in space? He asked with a grin. All this time, and you knew, Pip sounded amazed, and you didn't come after me. I knew before you signed. Why would I come after you when it was too late, he asked. You'd tell me eventually. You'd have to. We're family. So what are you doing here now, then, he asked, half defensive and half defiant. Delivered a load of boat parts, he said. What'd you think? I drop everything and fly out here for the hell of it? 
Aunt P didn't message you, he asked. Well, of course she messaged me, he said with a chuckle. She thought I was still under the impression you were at the academy. And you just happened to show up here, our next port of call, Pip pressed. Tom shrugged. Well, I was in the neighborhood, he said, and he winked at me. I'm not going back, Pip said suddenly. Going back where? Tom asked. Back on the Epiphany, he said. Well, damn straight you're not, Tom agreed. You're under articles until next August. Pip fell back into his chair. You didn't come to take me to the Academy. Tom screwed up his face in mock confusion. How could I do that? You're under contract. We sipped beer for a little before he leaned forward in his chair and put his glass on the table. Okay, here's the straight and narrow, Philip. Yes, Penny messaged me, and I grabbed the first cargo coming to Umber and humped it over here as fast as the Epi could haul. We made good time from Sargas, and we got here about three weeks ago. We've been running some small cargoes in and out of here while we waited. We hit the station day before yesterday and stuck. The waitress brought us another pitcher, and Tom did the honors around the table once more. But I didn't come to drag you away. Penny's message said she thought you were finally ready and that I should come let you know it was okay. He turned to me then and said, She gives you a lot of the credit, Ishmael. I just shrugged. I don't know what I might have done to give her that impression, but thank you, sir. Uh, Tom. Point being, and you still haven't answered my question, your academy acceptance is on hold. I just need to let the commandant know as soon as possible so he can slot you into the new class, he said. So, if Ishmael goes, will you go with him? Pip looked at me then. It started out as a kind of a miserable whipped dog look, but it transformed into a funny devilish grin. He looked back to his father and said, well, somebody needs to look after him. But I still have to be accepted, I pointed out. Oh, you'll get in, Tom said in a tone like you might say the sun's out. Everybody seems so sure of that, I observed. Tom shrugged. If Alice Chagone puts up a candidate, I suspect Commandant Chagone will listen. You said that before, Commandant Chagone? It's her father, he said. And Penny sent a letter too, didn't she? Yeah, I admitted it was quite a packet of recommendations. No kidding, he said. Anything over eight's pretty much automatic. How many did you have? Pip said ten, three of them captains. Tom held up his glass. Congratulations on your pending acceptance. Start thinking of how you'll say yes. But how can you be so sure, I asked him. Because Alice Yagone is one of the best judges of horse flesh in the galaxy, and her father knows it. That's the only reason she's not there teaching now. She keeps finding the best officers in the business. You have two short tickets on your application. One is a recommendation from Alice Yagone. The other is you've convinced two other captains that she's right, and they've put their reputations on the line in support of you. Bob Yagone may have a soft spot in his heart for his little girl, but ten letters, including three from captains, that just proves Alice is right. But I didn't convince anybody. I didn't even know I was applying until the captain gave me the application packet to indoors. The recommendations were already in it. And in spite of the evidence of your own eyes, you continue to persist in the delusion that you won't make the cut? He asked with a grin. Penny said you weren't born to a spacer family, so this probably seems crazy. He turned back to Pip. So was that a yes? Can I tell Bob you'll be there for the next class? Pip looked at his father and smiled. Yes, please. That would be very helpful. Thanks, Dad. Tom made a theatrical grasp at his chest. Oh, my gods and garters, he said. Thank you, he said. But he had a proud smile on his face, and he didn't mug it up for long. Instead, he filled the glasses one more time and raised his in a toast. To Port Newmar. And we drank. Chapter 30. Dunsany Roads Orbital, 2353, July 18. After all the angst and anxiety of my first year in space, the next ten months were practically idyllic. If you think of idyllic as working twelve hours a day for weeks on end, locked in a big tin can, surrounded by metric buttloads of nothing, 
Nothing broke. The ship didn't crash. I managed not to make any more of a fool of myself ashore than I was absolutely necessary to maintain my reputation as a member in good standing of the order of stupid young males. It's not to say we didn't have a modicum of excitement now and again. It started while we were still in Umber. The orders came down for a change in ship movement. We were scheduled to close the loop by running from Abelmarle back to Dunsany Roads. The company diverted us to Barsey. We took about half the ship loaded in fertilizer and frozen fish. Pip and I did very well with the masks and silk carp in the flea market, leaving Umber with twelve kilocreds in cash and a bundle of necklaces made of shells and bones and teeth from one of the large aquatic predators. I thought they were a bit tacky, but Diane liked them, so I trusted her judgment on them. By the time we got to Barsey in December, Pip and I had the new cargo system smoothed out, and we managed to bring the profit pool up by something like 8% over projections, by locking in some cargoes as early as we could and holding others until the last possible moment. That added a nice little bit to our shares, and it was a good thing, too. I was accepted to the class of 58, just as Tom Carstairs had predicted. The acceptance notification from the Academy was waiting for me when we pulled the beacon data at Barzi Orbital. Appended to it was a financial aid application. This form wasn't filled out for me, but it wasn't difficult. I had some awkward moments trying to figure out how to explain my parents' financial status. Mom was easy, of course. Deceased pretty much covered it. Finally, Mr. Von Nichols suggested whereabouts unknown for my father. After that, it was basically just attaching my tax receipts for the previous year. Francis surprised his son, Barzi, as well, when he left the ship to take a teaching position. He announced it to Brill, Diane, Cece, and I on the mess deck just before we docked. It's your fault, he told me with a grin. What did I do? I asked. You were drunk on your butt and Nile that night with Penny and Quint, remember? I remember very well, I told him, thereby putting the lie to your scurrilous commentary on my state of inebriation. Cece turned to Diane at that point and asked, What did he say? She leaned over to him and said, It's just said he wasn't drunk. Cece nodded and thanked Diane for the translation. He told me I should teach at the academy because the officers need to know about astrophysics, Francis was commenting. I kind of liked that idea, so I threw off an inquiry to the commandant. Did you know his name's Jagon, too? Yeah, I said, the captain's father. What did he say? Brill and Diane both looked at me as if to say, How does he know that? But didn't actually interrupt for a change. Well, they actually had an open search going and had no luck finding anybody who wants to teach. He offered me a contract already on the basis of my credentials and a ticket out of Barzy on the weekly packet boat. I should be there in time to start spring semester if I leave on the next boat. He grinned at me then. I'll be ready for you when you get there. I expect to work very hard, but I'm a fair grader. I laughed, remembering every teacher I'd ever known saying that. He probably believed it as much as they all did. The captain posted the opening as soon as we docked, and we got a spec three from the Ozymandias' replacement within a couple of days. He was a nice enough guy named Emil Laszlo, about thirty with cropped black hair and a grin that didn't ever seem to go away, even in his sleep. He seemed to know his stuff pretty well, and after getting lost only twice on VSI, didn't have any problems. Diane liked his shoulders. While we were in Barsi, I got to meet Pip's mother, Tammy Carstairs, a lovely woman with a wiry sense of humor that found the funny in the strangest of places. I suppose living with Tom and raising Pip, you'd have to have some kind of defense mechanism, and I took to her right away. Not so much as a surrogate mother figure, but more like supplemental mom. She's a hell of an astrogator, too, as I was coming to understand it. She asked what I was doing in systems, and after describing the cargo tools, which Pip gushed about at some length, we talked about the astrogation problems. She had some interesting ideas, including considerations of planetary positioning and orbital sequence to identify the true center of gravity for a system. Theoretically, it was possible to shave as much as two days off a long run out to the Burleson limit by taking planetary positioning into account. Taking two days off a 20-day run was a 10% reduction in overhead and was certainly worth looking into. 
It wouldn't work all the time, of course, because it required a specific alignment scenario with at least the major system bodies. Still, an awareness of it could certainly give us some options in laying out courses. Pip and I were herding in the trade department on Barzi. The shell necklaces didn't sell that well, and there wasn't really the kind of quality goods that I was hoping for on the return leg. We only made another kilocred in private trading, but we picked up a big pile of entertainment cubes to take back to Umber. Those we expected to do well with, although we were already sweating what we were going to take out of Umber when we left for Nile. Nick Graves was familiar with the planetary alignment work, but lacked the necessary computational ability to actually calculate the course based on it. We worked all the way back to Umber on the problem. Ms. Avril, Mr. Von Nichols, Dick, Sandy, and I. At least part of the issue was related to having the correctly updated astrogation ephemera. Those we had automatically updating by the time we picked up the Umber orbital feeds again. We docked at Umber near the end of January. As expected, the entertainment cube sold well, and we were left with a few of the shell necklaces and about 20 kilocreds at the end of our second day in port. Personally, I was getting a bit worried. At this rate, I wasn't going to have enough creds for the ticket to Port Newmar, let alone the cost of my first year at the Academy. Pip and I had our heads together over beers at Floyd's. Levon Nichols was with us. He kind of adopted us when I joined the section, but we've been doing a lot of palling around off the ship ever since my acceptance came in. I appreciate it because we usually wound up talking about the Academy. He had me convinced to start studying the advanced math course I had on my portable, and when I got stuck on something, he was good about helping me with it. He had an ulterior motive, but at the time he just said, it'll help you when you get to Port Newmar if you have this down. Well, how much risk are you willing to take on? Lee asked us over a second round. I shrugged. I don't know, but at this rate, I'm not going to be able to go. Fertilizer, Lee said. Pip looked up at that. What? We're going to Nile next. Check the prices on fertilizer. A container costs basically 10 creds a ton to ship, about 6,000 creds per container. We can rent a container, Pip asked. He shrugged. Anybody can rent a container, as long as you pay the freight on it. The challenge, and the risk, is in finding something that you can afford to buy a container full of that's going to earn you more than the cost of the freight on the other end. That first exercise we did for Mr. Maxwell was only 10 kilocreds, wasn't it? I asked Pip. He nodded slowly. Yeah, but the ship doesn't have to pay the freight, so the margins were much higher. True, he said, but if you've got 20 kilocreds to invest, six goes to pay the freight, and that leaves you with 14 to fill a container with. The only problem is you need to fill it with something that'll earn you more than the original investment. Fertilizer is the only thing I can think of that's cheap enough per unit for you to buy a container load of here. We can afford to pay 30 creds per ton. 10 goes to shipping, so we can buy anything that's under 20. He turned to Lee and asked, And if we don't fill a container, can we ship a partial? Yeah, he said, but check with Mr. Cotton. The price break isn't that much. You're better off filling it. Pip turned to me then. Are you willing? I shrugged. The worst case is we're down some credit at the end of the day. So long as we keep from incurring any debt in the transaction, I'm okay with it, I told him. In the end, we did rent the container, and Pip loaded it with 590 tons of fertilizer and 10 tons of frozen fish. It cost almost every last cred we had, and I tried not to fret about it all the way to Nile. The Umber Denial was the first real check of the new astrogation tools. Ms. Avril and Dick Graves were pretty excited about it because the two grass giants were lined up on the backside of Umber's primary. We had a good chance to check the theoretical calculations against the actual threshold measurements. The captain approved a small adjustment in our standard course plot, and we actually could have shaved three days off, but for safety purposes we only took two. We weren't able to jump any closer to the other end because we didn't have that data, but it still proved the concept, and Ms. Avril and the captain were very excited. Sandy Belterson and Dick Graves were perhaps more excited by the automated database updates. The gamble with the container paid off in Nile. When it was all settled out, we were sitting on 26,100 creds. A nice profit, but we were lucky. The price of fertilizer was falling when we jumped in, and Pip spotted it on the new trading software. 
he was able to lock in a price that saved us almost a kilocred. We decided to push our luck a little more on the run back to Betris and booked a container with a mixed cargo of glass ingots and engine parts. The fishing boats in Umber and the tractors in Betris used basically the same diesel engines, and Pip found a ten-ton pallet of parts for ten kilocreds. The glass had a high margin on it, and with luck would cover the transportation cost. We needed a very big margin on the engine parts in order to turn a reasonably good profit. Pip got a message from his Aunt P when we docked that they'd be meeting us in Dunsany Roads. They offered to give us a ride to Port Newmore. It wouldn't be as luxurious as a stateroom on the passenger liner Benjamin Franklin, and we'd have to work passage, but it would also be five kilocreds cheaper for each of us. I still didn't know how I was going to pay for school, but at least I was beginning to think I might actually make it to the school. When Pip told me, I asked, how can they afford to do that, just drop everything and fly off to the ends of the universe? He snickered. Aunt P probably has a line on some high-priority cargo in Dunsany Roads that needs to be either at Port Newmar or someplace close. You wait and see. They'll turn a profit on that trip, in both directions. I shook my head. How can they do that? He shrugged. We're moving 600 metric tons in the container, and it's costing us 6,000 creds per trip. That's profit to the company. They're moving 8 kilotons at a time. That's about 13 containers worth. And it costs them maybe 5 kilocreds for the lot. That's a lot less than we're paying per ton. Yeah, and they're also moving cargoes like delicate electronic instruments and small, high-value integrated circuits. We're paying 10 creds a ton, and they're paying less than one. They can do that because they own the boat, their expenses are really low, and they have a lot of creds and a good credit line. So they can afford to take on cargo on spec that costs 10 kilocreds a ton, and the hauling capacity to grab a lot of it. If we could afford a container full of integrated circuits, we wouldn't need to go to the academy. We could retire on it. They can also make port a little more than twice as often. So where we're lucky to make port six times a stanier, they may make 12 or 14. I laughed. You make it sound so simple. Yeah, Pip agreed, but it's not. They've worked for a long time to get where they are. But believe me when I assure you that they are not doing this out of the goodness of their hearts, and Aunt P will have a profit on the ledger by the time we dock. He said it proudly. So you don't think it's to make sure you make it this time? I asked with a grin. Oh, that too, he laughed, but we are going to have fun on the trip out. We didn't do anything too outrageous on Nile. Pip and I were saving our money, and I found that a quiet walk around the orbital with Bev or Brill, and occasionally both of them, was very pleasant. We'd slip into a cafe and grab a pastry or a beer and talk and laugh. We laughed a lot, we three. I was trying not to think too far ahead, but I wanted to enjoy what time I could get with them before I had to leave. The pull out of Nile was the first rough one I'd been through. I was actually looking at the display and saw the field strength flicker on the starboard side tug for just a fraction as they took the strain of the ship. It was enough to jolt us, and while it knocked people around a little, it did no damage. Just a friendly reminder of why we did this very, very carefully. The tug skipper was mortified and apologized the whole way out. The captain just shrugged it off. We've been through worse, she said. I finished up the advanced math course within a couple of days of getting underway for Betris, and Mr. Von Nichols sent me to the Spec 1 systems curriculum. With the math behind you, he said, I bet you can pass it on the next cycle, and he was right. The quarterly tests were three weeks later, right after transition into Betris. I only got an 89, but I passed. When it was all over, I asked him, So why did we do this, sir? I'll be at the academy before I ever find a Spec 1 berth. Because, Mr. Wong, having passed Spec 1, you can now get your Confederated Planets Joint Committee on Communications license to operate mobile systems and communications. What are you talking about, sir? He grinned. It's basically the same test. Grab the study guide from the academy library when you get there. You'll get the additional material easy enough. Take your license exam as soon as you can. It's good for five standards, and by the time it's due to expire, you'll have been a third mate for a year. You can renew just by paying the fee. That's sneaky, sir, I told him. Thank you for noticing, Mr. Huang, he said. 
the approach to Betris was a lot less exciting than the previous one had been. I was beginning to appreciate the value in less exciting. Pip had handled the trading on the way in, but we hadn't picked up as much as we'd hoped we might. We actually made less on this leg than we had with a load of fertilizer and fish. Still, it took us over 31 kilocrads, which is what each of us needed to cover the first year in the academy. The other shoe dropped when the financial aid package came back. It was a four-year package of grants, loans, and work-study, but it capped at eight kilocreds a year. I was going to have to make up the rest somehow. While it would cover almost all of the tuition, it wouldn't be enough to cover room, board, books, and fees. With my half of the profits with Pip, I had about enough to cover two years and a bit. I talked with Mr. Von Nichols about it, and he said, You're going to find a way. Believe in yourself, Fish. You've got two stanyards covered, and you only need to cover the other two. He was really confident, but I wasn't so sure. I had visions of getting to my junior year and having to drop out because I couldn't pay the bills. Or other students would have parents to co-sign loans. I was on my own. Well, not quite on my own. I made an appointment to see the captain. It was set for the day before we got underway for Dunsany Roads, and in the meantime Pip had lined up a full container of malted barley to take to Dunsany. We hadn't had much luck with the diversified cargo strategy, in large part because we didn't have enough cred to make it worthwhile. The malted barley took practically every cred we had, and I was, frankly, leery about doing it. I assumed we could at least get back to break even, even after paying for the container, but we really needed a lot more. Unfortunately, with all of our creds tied up in the container, we didn't even have enough left over to do much with the flea market. Bev, Brill, and I continued our walks on Petra's. It was getting harder for me to face the idea that I was going to have to say goodbye to them in a few weeks. Part of me was looking forward to the going-away party, but it still ate at me. For their parts, they didn't seem too concerned, and rebuffed every attempt I made at talking about what was ahead. I think it made all the harder for not being able to share that. The day before pull-out, the captain met with me. So how can I help, Ishmael? she asked as we settled at the table in her cabin. Well, Captain, I got my financial aid package back from the academy. It's a full four-year package, but it only covers about half the cost. With what Pip and I have made trading, assuming we don't lose much of it between here and Dunsany, I've got enough for about two years. Well, that sounds like you've made good progress, she said. I'm troubled about the other two years, though, Captain. How likely is it that I could get a loan from a banker there in Port Newmar? Well, you'll be 22 with good prospects and working on your education. I suspect you'll have no problem, she said. The bankers on Port Newmar are used to dealing with broke, soon-to-be officers, she added with a smile. I see, I told her. Thanks, Captain. That's really all I wanted to know. With as many people as you've sent there, I suspect you know as well as anybody the ins and outs of it. She smiled at that. Well, that's probably true. There is one other option, but I'm not sure it's right for you, she said. Federated Freight has a plan where they'll pay up to half your tuition books and pay you a housing allotment while you're at the academy. What's the catch, Captain? You have to agree to work for Federated Freight for five years after graduation. I thought about that for a time before asking, and why don't you think that's right for me, Captain? Because, Mr. Huang, you're going to have a lot more and better offers when you graduate than being locked into a Federated Freight third mate slot. Granted, it's only for five years and would probably be an easy way for you to get the funding you need, but I just have the feeling that if you can manage to scrape through without that burden on your back, you'll be better off. Thank you for telling me, Captain. You can always sign on Federated Freight after you graduate, but you've made some excellent contacts outside the corporate world already, and my professional opinion is that you're going to want to keep those options open after graduation. I hadn't thought of it that way, Captain. I appreciate your perspective, and I think you're right. I'll do what I can to make sure number 34 doesn't break your streak, I said with a smile. I'm not worried, Mr. Huang, she told me. That trip from Betris to Dunsany Roads was bittersweet. I'd always read that phrase, bittersweet, and the old lit that Mom made me read. I never had any real appreciation for it before that last trip on the Lois McKendrick. In some ways it seemed interminable, and others so fast as to disappear. 
The cargo tracking code that we'd worked on was now part of the main systems package of the ship. Mr. Von Nichols had submitted it to Federated Freight for consideration on all their vessels. Pip had saved a copy of it, and we'd set it up so it would run in my portable. Mr. Von Nichols helped. Probably wasn't legal, but we did it anyway. The astrogation updates are flowing smoothly as well. We were able to carve a couple of days off both ends of the jump, and that would result in a nice little addition to our share pool. Miss Avril was working on refining the course display monitors to reflect the new rich data that we were able to use because of the automated updates and was very excited about the potential applications. We made the transition into Dunsany Roads at the end of June, and the jump beacon carried a directive from home office to remove the Spec 2 berth upon docking. It freed me to leave the ship, of course, but also robbed Mr. Von Nichols of the opportunity to bring in a replacement. Personally, I was of two minds. There was no question that I had been able to help the ship become more efficient and profitable, but I had to agree with Home Office that perhaps might not be the most efficient application of resources. One small surprise happened when C.C. took and passed the Spec 1 environmental test. He'd been keeping such a low profile down there that I'd lost track of him. Diane and Brill both said he'd turned around dramatically since those first days and had nothing but good things to say about him. Perhaps it was just the added awareness, but I suddenly noticed that he and Sarah seemed to become something of an item. She smiled a special smile when he came into the mess deck, and for his part he seemed a little less brash and a little more gentle whenever she was around. Apparently Lois approved of the new CC. Pip's trading in the malted barley was spectacular. We locked in the selling price well in advance of docking, and our account stood at just over 40 kilocreds. Looking back over the time frame, I thought we'd done pretty well to double our money in just a few months. Mr. Cotton and Mr. Maxwell both congratulated us on how well we'd done, and I wondered, just briefly, how well we might have done with another year. But I shook that idea out of my head. There would be other years. Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Tarandas, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandis.org/golden.